This is the message from Connection Community Church for Sunday, April 24th, 2022. See and believe. Boy, it's good to be with all with you. Boy, it's good to be with all of you today. Yeah. Yeah. Post Easter week, ours was pretty busy. I don't know about yours. It was supposed to be supposed to kind of take it easy, but we certainly didn't do that, did we, Karen? No, we didn't. Busy week, busy week. So anyway, Post-Easter, post-Easter, he's risen, he's risen indeed, amen? Amen. So our post-Easter focus this morning is see and believe, see and believe. Good morning, Connection Church. My name is Carrie Jones. I'm Alan Jones. And we are two sinners who have been saved by the grace of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with us, please? Lord, thank you for the opportunity to share your word found in the Gospel of John, chapter 20. Mighty God, remove any distractions, clear our minds, focus us so that we would receive what it is that you would have us receive this morning. Whether we're here, whether we're at home, whether we're wherever we are, Lord, um, thank you speaking to us, and thank you for your word found in Scripture. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So, as we shared on Easter morning, all four of the gospel writers, those are the men who wrote about the good news of Jesus, what Jesus did, what he, uh, the miracles he did, what he said, what he, where he ministered, they are in the New Testament, second part of the Bible. All four of those writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all four shared stories of that Easter morning, that uh, stories of visiting the empty tomb, stories of finding it, as I said, empty, and stories of the resurrected Jesus. And even though Jesus, he told his followers what was coming, what to expect, what would happen, <laughs> duh, for them, they, they didn't expect what they found and so in all these stories, all four of these gospel stories, Jesus' followers were, were taken aback. They were kind of overwhelmed by that empty tomb. And so Easter morning, they were startled and shocked and surprised by what they saw or didn't see. And by the evening, they were shaken and they were suspicious, and they were scared. They were afraid. Here's how John says it in John chapter 20, verse 19a. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors. Uh, clue number one, locked doors. Because they were what? Afraid of the Jewish leaders. So they were behind locked doors not to keep them in, but to keep others out. Many believe they were meeting in that same upper room where they had the Last Supper the Thursday before. They, they, they had seen, though, what happened to Jesus. They've been watching what was going on from his arrest on trumped-up charges to this mockery of a makeshift trial to his being stripped and whipped and mocked and beaten to being hung on a cross to continue to be mocked until painful suffocation took his last breath. The disciples had seen all this, and so by the end of that first day, not the beginning when they were 
whoo, surprised by the empty tomb. But by the end of that first day, that first Easter Sunday, the end of that resurrection day, they were gathered together. Strength in numbers, huh? You ever been kind of scared? You ever been uh, uh, concerned? You get together, right? You, you share that with other people. They give you encouragement. They give you their strength in numbers. Then they were terrified then of the possibilities. They were locked in that upper room, fearing they have, may, may have eaten their last supper as well. Picking it up, uh, suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And so let's just uh, take a look at this scene. Let's lean into what's going on. Here they're all together. They're terrified. They had witnessed the crucifixion of their Lord and Savior. He was put in a tomb. The stone was locked in front of it. They go, you know, three days later. It is empty, and they have no idea what's going on because they didn't remember what Jesus had been telling them. And they're wondering if any moment there would be a knock on their door, or even worse, the door would be busted down by Jewish leaders who were coming for them too. Well, so instead, this visitor that came was absolutely the last person that they would have ever thought to see. Here they were. None of them None of these in this room had actually seen the risen Savior at this point. Mary Magdalene did. But they hadn't seen him. They hadn't encountered him. But there he was. Right there. Right in front of them. Standing with them. No knock. No door opening. Can you imagine? No door opening. Appearing. That's what it says. Appearing. Right with them. And what are the first, what's the first thing that Jesus says to them? Peace be with you. Now, think about how crazy scared they were, and they see this, see Jesus, and he says, peace be with you. Wow. We've been talking about peace a lot. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. Say shalom. Shalom. Shalom isn't necessarily an individual thing. It's really a community thing. It's a, a completeness, a wholeness, a soundness, welfare. And so when he said, peace be with you, it's kind of more than may you be saved from the trouble that could be ahead of you. But instead, it's like, may God's wholeness and completeness and favor be upon you and with you. May you feel the experience of this peace that's deep, this, wow, which is also available to us. And it's a peace that God gives through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Peace be with you. They thought he was dead and gone. They thought it was over. They were wondering if their lives, they would be next. Peace be with you. And then he showed them the wounds in his hands. 
Actually, it'd be right there through there. The wound from the nails that had held him on that cross. The, the wound in his side from where the soldier thrust his spear. It's interesting. We read that blood and water flowed out, and we find that um, this was a sign of death, that blood and water flowed out from that wound. Disciples didn't ask to see him. They didn't say, let me see those. He just offered them as signs of the trauma, these signs of trauma that he'd endured on the cross. Thinking they would never see their Lord again, the disciples, well, they were filled with joy. They were filled with joy. In the midst of being locked in this room and scared to death, they were filled with joy. Right moments before, they were filled with terror. And we're reminded once again, we've said so often, faith and fear don't occupy the same space. And when Jesus enters the picture, fear takes a holiday. (laughs) And so the disciples were enjoying the peace at that point that Jesus brought them in the flesh that day. So continuing on with the scripture, again, he, Jesus said, stay with me, peace be with you. So this is second time, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Mm. So again, as Carrie said, Jesus repeats this, peace be with you. Seems like they're in a little better place to receive this greeting, this assurance of peace, this greeting of good. Now that they have seen Jesus in the resurrected flesh, now that they've seen those holes in his hands and his side, now that they've fully digested that he has resurrected, that he actually lives. And then he tells them some really important stuff. He says that as the Father sent him, Jesus, he is sending them. Ooh, wow. He commissions them. He instructs them. He commands them. He charges them. He sends them forth. He gives them their marching orders. As the Father sent him, he is sending them. They are his emissaries in the world his representatives, his agents, his hands, his feet, his voice. Hmm. And what are they to share? That death has been defeated, that God wins, that Jesus is alive. And what does that mean? So much more. It means that there's new life. It means that we can be forgiven as we forgive others. It means that there can be peace that passes all understanding. It means that there's healing. It means that there's wholeness. And so this was their charge to go share that. And it is not just true for the disciples of the day. That is our charge too, to be Jesus's emissaries. As the Father sent Jesus, he is sending us. In the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to share the good news that is real. Mm. 
And then Jesus breathed on them, telling them uh, to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus would have spoken either in Hebrew or Aramaic. And as we said before, that word for spirit in Hebrew is ruach, R-U-A-C-H, ruach. Got to add that at the end there, ruach. And it's an interesting word because it has broad meaning, um, breath, wind, spirit. And that's interesting when you talk about the breath of God, the Holy Spirit, you know, it gets all kind of intermingled there. But in, in, in this translation, this is being translated from, uh, these were written in New Testament, was Greek. Now, in the, in the Greek, we have Holy Spirit, hagios pneuma. Hagios meaning holy. And then that word pneuma, pneuma, as we've previous silent, pneuma. And you've probably heard or used that as part of word before, like uh, uh, pneumatic, like a pneumatic drill or a pneumatic lift that's air-powered, compressed air, air, wind, breath, spirit, air, all comes from that similarly to that Hebrew ruach. So Jesus breathed on them, see that breath, wind, spirit, all in that same word, breathe the Holy Spirit on them. And it's interesting, here we are in the New Testament with Jesus, and we can go all the way back the beginning, back to Genesis 2, 7, where we read, this is New Living Translation, then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, you've heard this, right, formed the man from the dust of the ground, he breathed, there's that word, you know, there's that breath word, that air word, that wind word, that spirit word, breathed the breath of life, he breathed his very spirit into human beings to get them rolling, Breathe the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Wow. Awesome. Well, that's not the only place in Scripture where we hear about God breathing his breath in. Uh, we're reminded of that in Ezekiel in chapter 37. It's called the Valley of the Dry Bones. You see... Ezekiel is a prophet. A prophet is somebody called by God to be God's mouthpiece. This person's just not talking off. They're giving God's message. And God's message was not a popular message. It was a hard job to be a prophet. It is hard today to have a prophetic word. It's not a feel-good thing. <laughs> the vast valley of the dry bones represented... Were, uh, it represented the people of Israel, who were, it was a nation in exile, and there was like, they felt hopeless. It was like gone. It was, at that point, they were just feeling dejected with no place, no home, no temple, no everything. And so the Lord speaks into the prophet Ezekiel, telling him to speak this prophetic word to these dry bones, reminding them that the Lord has power to breathe his spirit into something that's dead and it will come alive. I love this scripture because, Kathy, I'm, I don't have, you don't have a slide. I'm just going to read it. So Ezekiel 37, uh, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. 
This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you. You will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will breathe in you and you will come to life. Wow. Then you will know that I am the Lord. This word meant for the Hebrews back then is meant for us today. It's as relevant today as it was back then. There was, uh, I don't know how many years ago it was, um, it's before this building was built and we were at an impasse where we thought we were done. You know, we've told this story. We thought, you know, there was these huge things, obstacles, these Goliaths that we just thought we were done. We couldn't build the building. There was million dollar this and that and it, things we didn't expect. And one early morning, your leadership team came and walked this field. And we just walked, not together, but we were all separate. And we walked and just prayed, like, God, what do you want? God, what do we do? And I can remember walking and looking down at the dead corn and, you know, the stalks. And I stopped because I saw, it, there was soybeans here too, but it was corn. And, but I saw a soybean pod and I picked it up and there were seeds in it. And I'm like, wow. And then the Lord brought to mind this scripture. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. And you will know that I am the Lord. And so the team said, okay, we're going to keep going. Because others felt something very similar. And we kept going, and we kept going, and here we are. But this scripture and the word of God is as relevant today as the day it was written. So be sure to read it and take it in and pray and see what God wants for you in your life. So Jesus, he breathed the same breath <coughs> excuse me, of life into the disciples gathered there, telling them to receive God's Holy Spirit. And in so breathing on, they, they, they became extensions of Christ. Extensions. He empowers them to continue the work that was started when he was still there before the execution, before the crucifixion. So he's calling them to be his hands and his feet and his voice and his ears out there in the world. They, they are to be his agents, if you will, his agents in the world. And that includes the forgiveness of sin. That's an interesting line there. Kind of wrestled with that this week. Forgiveness of sin, because I've always been taught our sins are only forgiven through Christ, through his blood on the cross. Our sins are not forgiven by what anybody says, but it's by what he did. Death on a cross, and 
paid the price for our sins, a price we can't pay. That death on the cross offers us forgiveness. And here Jesus is empowering his disciples to declare that forgiveness. What they're declaring is what's already been done. Sins have already been forgiven on the cross. Your sins were forgiven 2,000 years ago, but we have to accept that gift. We have to receive it. And often it takes somebody telling us. Disciples can share that. They're the sharers. They're the agents to, to declare that forgiveness, to make known that forgiveness, to help us to recognize that forgiveness. It reminds us of what we sometimes say during our Holy Communion. After you know, we have that prayer of confession where we get, get right with God and ask Him to help us to go in a new direction. And, and Carrie often, will say, often says, in the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. Now, Carrie, is not, she, doesn't, she can't forgive sin. She can do a lot of things, but she can't, <laughs> she can't forgive sin. Christ does. She's just, she's the voice here. She's letting, letting us know that our sins are forgiven thanks to the blood of Jesus Christ. If we don't forgive sin, Christ does. We get to be messengers. We get to share the good news. Amen? Amen. Picking it up at verse 24, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, his Greek name was Didymus, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we've seen the Lord. Now, can you imagine Thomas like, oh my gosh, I missed it. The one time I went out for a sandwich. One time. But Thomas replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nails in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound on, in his side. So you know the saying, seeing is believing? That, that's where Thomas was. He really, really needed to see it. He wanted proof. He wanted to see the nail wounds. He wanted to be able to, to touch. And it's like a court of law, you know, not hearsay, but I want to see it. I need proof. And we're thinking, man, really? Well, let's get real. A little bit of doubting Thomas in each one of us sometimes, huh? Yeah. Yeah. We're all, at times, doubting Thomases. Perhaps we're a little bit cynical about something, and sometimes that happens because we've experienced some things that we thought were true and they aren't, or we've been hurt, and it just sort of piles on, and you need proof. So Thomas was the guy that was willing to say it. Thomas was the guy that was willing to own it and say what everybody else was probably thinking if they weren't there. He's not afraid to ask what he, for what he wants and admit that he needs proof in order to believe. Hmm. John chapter 20, verse 26 to 29, New Living Translation. Eight days later, a little over a week later, the disciples were together again, and this time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, still locked, still scared. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Thing didn't change much, did it? 
Peace be with you, Jesus said. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hand. Put your hand on the wound on my side. Don't be faithless anymore, any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. And then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. You know, I love a lot of things about Jesus. Mainly I'm saved, but especially, this is an example of something I absolutely love, is what he does here. Thomas needs proof. Jesus says to him, hey, big boy, here's your proof. <laughs> Have at it. Put your finger here. Look at, my, look at my hands. Put your hand in the wound on my side. Come, have faith, believe. He's willing to do whatever it takes, isn't he? Jesus is. Whatever it takes. To reach us, to connect with us, uh, to get us to believe. Even if it means putting our hand in the wound in his side. Come on, Thomas, get her done. Let's move on here. Well, and, <laughs> and here's the thing. In the scripture, he, he, Jesus has put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And then it says, my Lord and my God, Thomas explained. It doesn't say that he went and actually did it. He just was like, my Lord and my God. He must have realized, he, wow, this is it. And so we're not exactly sure what went on here, but what we know absolutely is that it didn't take much because Jesus is saying, here I am. And he's like, okay, let me... Let me see. We didn't read that. My Lord and my God. You know, when we're in the presence, whoo, that's what we all need to say, my Lord and my God, and just fall on our face. Lord and my God. So for Thomas, seeing is believing. And all he wanted to do is see Jesus. I think Thomas gets a bad rap a lot of times. He really does, because there is a little bit of Thomas in all of us at times. And when I read this scripture, I actually get a sense of relief because Jesus wasn't hard on Thomas. Jesus didn't berate him. And he said, okay, okay, what you need. Uh, you see, doubt is real. Doubt is real, but if doubt leads to questions, and questions lead to answers, and answers lead to a deeper faith, then doubt has done a good job. The thing is, on the other hand, when doubt becomes stubbornness, when we dig our heels in and we close ourselves off, when doubt becomes stubbornness, and stubbornness becomes prideful, then doubt harms faith. Jesus does not reject doubts that are honest. Jesus does not reject doubts that are directed at belief. Because Jesus can carry us. When we have our doubts and when we really bring our doubts to Jesus... Jesus will meet us where we are and take us one more step. 
Where we get in trouble is where we have doubts. It's like, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. Never. No. Not good. Doubt's okay. And just lean into it. Read the scriptures. See what Jesus says. Get in a small group. Verbalize it. Because it can lead to a deeper and actually more vibrant faith than you had before. You know, um, Jesus told Thomas that he was able to believe because he had actually seen Jesus. And he says the ones who are really blessed are those who believe without seeing Jesus. I guess that would be you and me. Right? We're believers and we haven't seen Jesus in the flesh. See him maybe, not in the flesh. And yet, yet I'd have to say this, that, that I have seen Jesus and I believe many of you have too. Maybe not exactly in the flesh, but it kind of works like this. Um, who here has seen the wind? Actually seen the wind itself? Mm, see, we all said, yeah, I've seen the wind because we've seen what the wind does, right? We've seen that piece of paper <laughs> that is important, that bill, $5 bill <laughs> blow down the street. We've seen the rain, sleet, and snow Instead of coming like this, going, coming out of sideways, right? Yeah. We've seen, <clears throat> we've seen what the wind does. We've seen what it's capable of. We've seen the results of the wind. We've seen it in action. But the wind, by definition, is invisible, isn't it? And yet we, I'm sorry to put your hand up because you've, in effect, seen the wind. Exactly. That's what we're talking about today. I've, I've seen Jesus in action, and so have you. I've seen, I've, uh, I've seen Jesus, and you have too. I have. And, you know, I, <clears throat> I describe Jesus this way. Um, I've done this in a talk with youth where we, we can't see love, but we can feel it and experience it, and we can share it and so that's you know something that's invisible that becomes very visible and so that's the same with Jesus we've never seen him in the flesh we haven't he's never held my hand I have felt some touches I felt warmth I felt tingles up and down my spine you know the Holy Spirit when it, you know sometimes when a, a lot of times when I'm here and we get to worship together and collectively lift our voices, oh boy, that really, I feel touched by Jesus. And I do alone, but I especially do when we're together. And we've seen Jesus provide for our family, where Jesus has sustained us and carried us when it didn't make sense. And we've had challenge after challenge after challenge. And We've seen Jesus work in miraculous ways, and that is true here at Connection Church. I just described, you know, that, that day when we were walking in the field and where 
you know, nine of us felt in our own way a touch from Jesus and a direction from Jesus to keep on keeping on. We've seen Jesus work here when we thought we were done. And we've seen miracle after miracle. We've seen Jesus repair lives. We've seen Jesus do healings. We've seen Jesus pull people out of the pit. And I am one who has been pulled out of a bad, dark pit. Thank you, Jesus. That's what he does through the power of his Holy Spirit, taking those parts of us that are dead and bringing them to new life. Death didn't win. And that's true, the death of our emotions or you know whatever we're feeling yuck inside, that doesn't win because Jesus comes into our lives to pull us out of that and to give us life and joy abundantly. Abundantly. Yeah, we've seen it in action. Seen relationships that were on life support. <laughs> Made vibrant once again, thanks to the life-giving power of Jesus Christ. We've, <laughs> we've seen marriages that looked like they were in the valley of the dry bones. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we've seen Jesus Christ resurrect those relationships, breathing new life into that which was all but dead. Dead and gone. And we've seen Jesus, we've seen him heal the hope brokenhearted, giving hope to those who were feeling rather hopeless. Showing them how he never wastes a hurt. Never wastes a hurt. Helping them, the broken, previously brokenhearted, put that pain and practice into being an extension of Jesus himself and offering hope and new life to someone else who's in that position just like they were. Yeah. <laughs> so, as, as I've been kind of living into this passage in John this week um, to <coughs> get prepared to speak today, there are so many things that touched me. There's a, a lot of things here. Um, the first thing for me is that I see that Jesus is not confined to time or space. I mean, he walks, he walks into a room without opening a door. Wow. That, that's, that's really awesome. Jesus can transcend time and space, and that's why we say he's alive today and in our lives. So th that is one of the things that hit me in this passage again. Another thing that hit me is that it speaks about doubt. And doubt can be very real, but it also can deepen faith. So I want to use that as a word of encouragement to you to lean in and use that as a springboard to go deeper in your walk, in your journey with Jesus. And then the next thing for me that I read is that Jesus says, um, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And so we get some marching orders from this passage. And what it tells me is that 
need to keep going, keep preaching, keep leading, keep being in mission with each one of you so that we can continue what God has placed on us to connect people with Jesus and the new life he offers. And so we are spirit-powered and we are spirit-guided because as the Father has sent me, I am sending you, and the Spirit comes and lives and breathes in each one of us because the Spirit has been breathed into your life to make a difference for him and to glorify God. And then everything else we do is an outflow of that. That's good news. Let's live it. Let's believe it. Let's share it. Let's pray. Most holy God, uh, wow. We're reminded here that, that you live, Lord Jesus. And even though we may not see you, we see you in what you do. We see you in the lives of others. We see you in our lives. We see you in our relationships with each other. We see you in our life, in our relationship with you, Lord. And Lord, we just, um, we hear these marching orders and we sometimes hesitate. We're sometimes uh, reluctant, resilient, and we sometimes say, like Moses, why me, Lord? Why me? Well, why not you? Why not you? Lord, um, help us to know that power that brings that peace that passes all understanding. Lord, please help us to, as the disciples, take that breath of the Holy Spirit on us, become your hands, your feet, your voice, your ears, and please help us to be extensions of you. That's what Christian means, be an extension of you, and to share the good news with whoever, whomever, wherever, whatever. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all those gathered said, Amen. Sha leads us in this song. I shared what John chapter 20 meant to me, some of my takeaways. But you need to go to John chapter 20 and see what the message is for you. It's not good enough for you to just come and listen to us. You need to open it up and read and see what God has for each one of you. And so John chapter 20, take a look at verses, uh, I think, Kathy, can you put that slide up? Yeah, there it is. John 20, 19 through 30. If you're in your car, you can listen to it on your Audible. You can have your Bible, pull out your phone, whatever it takes, but go to John 20 and see what the Lord has in store for you. Let's go ahead and stand and sing this song, which actually gives, it kind of seals the deal of the mission.
that we have together to connect people with Jesus and the new life he offers. Thank you for listening to the message from Connection Community Church. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, you can visit us on our website at justshowup.church. You can also call our church offices at 302-378-7692. Thanks again for listening. Connection Community Church, connecting people with Jesus and the new life he offers.